So we are um, talking this morning about what does it look like to do this together. So all weekend, we've, we've talked about joy and grief and hope, and a lot of that is what is God doing in our hearts? What is, he, um, what is he stirring up? What are we processing? What's going on in our lives? And we have already done a lot of that together. That's why we chose the model of having some discussion groups this weekend. And I know that some of you have been processing through free time and long into the night, and you've already been doing this together. But there's a piece of this big picture community, how do we live life do this together when some of us are in grief and some of us are in joy and some of us are anywhere in between because we are aware that there can be a tension and let's just let's just call it what it is and get to it right off the bat um last night stephanie shared that she's pregnant we celebrate with you we love that but we know that in this room, there are those of you who were never able to have children and that hope is long gone. And there are those of you who are right in the middle of this and that hope is still really, really, really hard to hang on to. And we are walking this together and we want to love each other well. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 12 or 15 or something that I'll find here in your booklet, Romans 12, 15. See, I was close. <laughs> both, both numbers were in there. We're going to be in both chapters today. Romans 12, 15 says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. How do we do that? When our own heart is in its own battle and it's in its own places, how do we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn? Here are a couple things that I see that get in the way of it that we just need to stop doing. And then we're going to dive into scripture a little bit and see what it says about how do we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So the first one, and Laura talked about this a little bit yesterday when she said, we need to ask the question, what do we believe is grief worthy? Because we are comparing ourselves to each other all the time. Oh, well, it's not as bad as hers, so I shouldn't feel that bad. Oh, I don't have a right to cry about this because look at, look at those people. And we can make a joke out of it and say, well, there's people starving in Africa, so I shouldn't come. Mine's a first world problem. Friends, I realize that there are things that are first world problems. But when we use that in a sarcastic tone with ourselves or with others, we are doing disservice to the reality that we need to validate the losses in our lives. Yes, somebody else might have a loss that on the loss scale feels like it's more of a nine or a 10 and you feel like yours is a four or a five, but that doesn't matter. Grief is grief, whether it's on the comparative scale at a two or a 10, it doesn't matter. And the comparative scale doesn't help us. Part of doing this together, grieving with those who grieve and mourning with those who mourn is to get rid of this comparative scale. Here's the problem. If I'm grieving and I'm comparing, then I'm not giving permission to my grief. I'm not validating my grief. I'm saying this isn't grief worthy and I'm stuffing grief that needs to be dealt with. And the other piece of the problem, side of the problem when we're talking about doing this in community is if I have a grid for a comparative scale, then I am a very judgmental person when my friends are in grief. I become the person that they can't come to because I, I might not say it. I mean, I'm wise, right? I, I can hold my tongue sometimes, but I, I, I can put off this aura of, Come on, get over it. Get over it. It's not that big of a deal. And so on both sides of the equation, whether we're the person grieving or the person friending the person who's grieving, we have to get rid of the comparative scale. It doesn't matter. Loss is loss, and each of us process loss differently. And when we are comparing to others and saying, well, it's just not as big as or it's not as bad as, um, we're not grieving well. 
we're not in a healthy place. So we need to get rid of the comparative scale. Um, oh, Jesus, I don't really want to say that. <laughs> I'm arguing with God right now. Give me a second. I have to say this. Over my uh, lifetime, I have been involved with people who have said this out loud. I just don't understand uh, the grief over miscarriage. I mean, they haven't even met the child yet. I've heard that said by men, and I've heard that said by women. This is just an example of where we cannot carry this idea of, I have the right to judge whether or not you should be sad over something. And can I just say, I didn't want to say that because it's absolutely untrue, it's absolutely harsh, it's the worst thing ever, and it's not what my heart is. But we have to understand that we have these belief systems going on. We have these things going on in our head that very few people would ever say out loud, but they are impacting how we love and care for others. And we have got to get rid of this sense that I have a filter of how other people are supposed to process their grief. And can I just say that if you have had a miscarriage, I am so sorry. I am so sorry, because here's a point for later in the talk. When we grieve, hmm. start with an example. Let's say that the loss we're talking about is a romantic breakup, okay? So somehow a man and a woman have broken up, and you're the woman, and the man has actually been horrible. Uh, he's cheated, or he's abused, or he's whatever the case has been. Um, he's been sinful. He's, it, it's just, it's not, it, it's, we're not even going to split hairs here over what sin or not. We're just going to say that in this example, he's been terrible, and there's no question about that. And so you've just lost a relationship, but you feel foolish for grieving that relationship because you found in the end that he isn't really worth grieving, and so you think, well, why am I even sad about this? He isn't worth grieving. And what you have to realize is you're not grieving him. You're grieving the hope of what you would have with him. You're grieving the fact that when you got in a relationship with him, you had hoped that it was forever. You had hoped that you would be cherished. You had hoped that you would be loved and known and seen. And you're grieving the loss of the hopes that you had in the relationship. You're not grieving the loss of him, and yet it is tied to him. And so part of the problem with grieving is we feel stupid for grieving because we think, well, I should have seen. I shouldn't have even gotten in a relationship with him in the first place. I should have been smarter than that. And when we're one, walking through the what-ifs of I feel stupid or I feel sillier, I shouldn't have gotten in that place in the first place. We are invalidating the fact that there is a loss. However foolish we might have been, however it turned differently, however much in this particular instance he might have been one person here and then totally changed, it's not on us at all. Whatever has happened in that, it's not about the circumstance that we're grieving and whether or not you were right or wrong or smart or foolish. It's about the hope that you had attached to that thing. Does this make sense? So backing up, Friends who have lost babies in the womb, I understand that it's not about whether or not you knew their personality yet. It's the loss of the hope of the human being that you were going to get to do life with. And I want to validate that loss. And I hope and pray that there is nobody who said to you what they said to me. <laughs> the loss is not about the circumstance. 
The loss is about the hope that you had rising in you and the hope that was lost when you realized that that was not going to happen, whatever that might have been. For some of you, it could have been a job. For some of you, it could be your living children who have walked away from the way of life that you would like to see them living. There's, there's all sorts of places where the enemy would want to poke at us and say, well, you did this wrong, so you don't have a right to feel sad about it. And I believe God would say, your hope is in me and loss is loss. And as we do this together, can we hold that reality as true and be less judgmental people and, and more compassionate people? There is a time for Holy Spirit conviction of our sin. There is a time, it talks about it in Matthew, that if we see someone who is living according to how Jesus tells us to live, that as loving Christ followers who are in relationship with them, we come with gentleness and truth and say, I'm not sure this is the way God calls us to live. The, the conviction, the, the walking together, the holding people accountable. There is a time for truth to be spoken, even if it's hard. I'm not sure that time is when the tears are flowing and we are grieving the loss of what happened. We listen well at that time. Okay. I'm on a tangent. We're coming right back. Here we go. Back. When we're doing this together, we need to stop comparing to others and we need to quit fearing what other people think. Here's what happens sometimes in grief. Um, I leave for retreat and my puppy goes into heat. And she's home with my children who are not letting her out of her kennel enough. And I call my son on Friday night and wake him up from a nap and find out that the dog hasn't been out from noon till eight. Okay? I actually have a loss in that. I have a grief in that. I actually love this little ball of puff white. She's, she's been such a good healing balm in my soul. I really enjoy her. And there is a grief in me and there's an anxiety in me because she's not being taken care of very well this weekend. You guys, that's silly. <laughs> what's, what's a dog? What's a puppy? Jennifer, come on. What a, and, and I'm talking to myself. Oh, my goodness. I didn't think this, I was this kind of puppy mama. Oh, for crying out loud, Jennifer, get over it. She's going to live. She's a dog. And my self-talk is going, going, going. And I don't tell you that I'm actually really heart sore over this because it's a puppy who's in heat. Big deal, Right? But last night, I'm like, hey, guys, can we pack up tonight so we can get out of town early tomorrow? Because I want to get back and let my puppy out of the kennel. Super simple example of the way that we level what we're feeling inside, what we're sad about, what we're happy about. And quite frankly, this happens on the joy end of the spectrum too. I don't want to be too giddy. I don't want to be too excited. I don't want people to think I'm, I mean, here's, I'm a, uh, oh, this opens up a whole nother thing. Um, <laughs> You know those personality profiling kind of things, like all the letters, E, N, F, whatever, and all that kind of thing? Well, there's one called the Enneagram. If you don't know it, I'm not teaching about it today. I'm sorry to even mention it. Uh, but on it, I'm a one, and the one is the perfectionist or the reformer. And one of the underlying motivations of a one, of a perfectionist, is to appear reasonable and moderate and in control. That I want others to think of me as reasonable. Well, that really puts a, uh, puts a damper on any ability to express true grief or true joy because both ends of those spectrum don't actually look reasonable or moderate or in control, right? 
So as we do this together, we need to recognize our self-talk where we're actually silencing ourselves because we're afraid of what other people are going to think of us in the full range of our emotions. And what does it look like to walk in that brave space where we risk expressing the full range of our emotions, whether it's deep grief or significant joy? And quite frankly, for me, it's hard for me to admit the full range of my emotions to me. It's not that I'm withholding something from the people who love me. It's that I don't, I just don't get there because I'm so practiced at staying in control and reasonable and appearing like everything's just going to be fine, right? So we need to quit fearing what other thinks think and quit um, putting a damper on ourselves and, and ask Jesus, you know, Would you expose my blind spots? Would you show me where I'm not, what's blocking me from entering into the true depth of my feeling on any, either end of this spectrum? I want us to look at Romans 12 together. We read this verse that says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who want another, mourn with those who mourn. And it begs the question, how do we do this? And then if you back up a little ways, Dude, I think I'm going to be sorry I didn't bring my raincoat over. <laughs> Remember the 744, oh shoot, 744, kind of in a hurry this morning? I was halfway down the stairs at Pacific View when I said, I don't have my coat. Doesn't matter, I'm going anyway. I'm going to regret that decision. And given yesterday, I should have learned. Okay. If you back up in Romans 12, we get a little bit of um, feet to this idea of how do we uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So I'm looking at Romans 12, verse 9. Um, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We're going to stop there. So some ideas that I see in this um, passage are these, these ideas of love, of honoring one another. Can we honor each other's journeys? You know, what does honor look like? Sometimes honor looks like just saying, I see you and that must be hard. I don't have to have the right answer for you. I don't even have to have the comforting words for you. I don't have to know what to say to you. I can be present with you and honor your journey by simply saying, I see you, and that must be really hard. Backing up a little bit, this idea of love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient. This verse talks about being patient. Love is kind. It does not envy Can we pause here? How do we do this together? We don't envy one another. Here's a challenge for us, a mutual challenge for us. Laura has used this phrase several times this weekend, and it might be a takeaway, go home with you phrase for the weekend, and that's this phrase of lift your head. 
What does it look like to lift our head and to truly see others, to truly see where they are? So if we are someone who is somewhere on the spectrum, perhaps a little bit closer to the joy end of things, perhaps not in the depths of our grief or challenge or struggle or wrestle right now, perhaps we need to ask God to break any judgment or sense of taking offense and to give us the capacity to simply sit with someone and honor them. And perhaps if someone that we're walking in a season that is deeper grief or loss or unfulfilled hopes, we might ask God to break any cynicism or resentment, to ask him to expose where we are living with envy, to ask him to show us how we might rejoice with those who rejoice while we entrust our heart to him. Love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. There's a big difference between sharing your joy and boasting about your joy. You guys, this is so distracting, isn't it? It's like the walls are going to come down. You're trying to listen and you can't hear me and I'm trying to talk. Well, rain down on us, spirit, as hard as the rains are raining down on Cannon Beach right now. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be joyful in hope. What did I miss? I know. Louder. It's good. Thank you. <laughs> Amen, you are dismissed. You can, you can think of that as you will. Uh, some of you are saying God has a sense of humor. Some of, I, God is good to us, ladies. He's been good to us all weekend, and he is good to us now. Um, yeah. I know, it did. I saw, I recognize that. I'm a little shaken at the moment. <laughs> Wait, were you genuinely praying for it to stop, or was you being funny? Both. <laughs> Car- if, you can't, if you can't hear Kara, she said, were you genuinely praying for it to stop, or were you being funny? And I said both. I, I realized we couldn't move forward, and I was actually just in a dear Jesus, what do you want to do right now moment. Do you just want us to stop talking and receive your presence, or what do you want to do? And the rain stopped. Okay. <laughs> I, I really am a little bit like, where are we going right now? When we do this together... I want to read another scripture to us, and then I'm going to invite my friends up to the couch. We're going to talk about this together. Oh, I did that. Hey, good. I gave notes in the book, and so then I do know what I wanted to say. They're sitting there printed out for you. Okay, so Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then skipping down into verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we live in unity so that we glorify God when we are in such different places and our heart hurts and it is hard to walk with those who are rejoicing when we are mourning and it is hard to mourn with those who are mourning when we are in a place of rejoicing? And how do we do that? How do we do that? Here's a couple practical examples. If you're on page 15 in your book, you see that there's a word that just says presence. One of the things we can do that does not invalidate our own heart or where we are, see, here's the deal. We don't have to set aside how we feel in order to be present with someone who feels different than us. We get to come with all of who we are and love the person who we are friends with and be present with them with all of who we are and all of who they are in a non-threatening way. And presence just means be with them. I don't know if you remember in the book of Job and he had all these catastrophes and his friends came and for seven days they just sat with him. And those were the best seven days because as soon as they opened their mouths, it all unraveled. (laughs) And there are times when we do not know the words to say and I need you to hear that you don't have to say anything. It is so hard. It is contrary to our nature. It is contrary to our culture. We think that we need to come into a situation and that is our words that love people. Sometimes our words can be loving, but it is our presence that loves people. It is being willing to take the time and drive across town and sit in the living room and cry with your friend and leave without ever offering a word of advice or a word of comfort or a Bible verse or whatever you think you might need to say to simply say, here's what that communicates. I believe in God in you. I believe that God will speak to you. I do not think you need my wisdom to get through this, and I'm just going to be present with you. Now, there are times that Holy Spirit prompts words in us, and we have that to give, but just because you can't figure out what words need to come out does not mean that you can't be present. You can be present when you are grieving with people who are rejoicing. You can be present when you are rejoicing with people who are grieving. And hear this. I know that that can be excruciatingly hard. I know that. But in this lift your head, there was the thought that escaped me when the rain was pounding. In this lift your head, there's two pieces I want to say. One is, can we honestly see others? Can we get out of ourselves for a minute and see their rejoicing without it being in comparison to what's going on with us? And can we honestly lift our head and see their mourning without it threatening our happiness? See, some of us have a really hard time being okay if the people we love are not okay. And we aren't very good at actually being together in all ranges of emotion because we have this inward drive to make sure that this other person is okay. So we're pretty quick to give comfort or, in, or words of fix it because we want them to be better because we want to feel better. And we don't realize that we're doing it. We don't realize that we're actually being quite self-centered. We think, no, I'm loving. I'm trying to encourage. But the reality is sometimes being present means letting this person feel what they feel without trying to talk them out of how bad they feel and recognize that it is okay to sit with them and have it hurt you too. We hurt when our friends hurt, and that's hard, and we don't like it. But sometimes lifting our eyes means seeing the grief and not trying to rush them through it so that we can feel better about them feeling better. And the other thing that lifting our eyes can mean is can we lift our eyes to Jesus and say, Jesus, 
what are you, where are you in this? Where are you for me in this? The question that Laura posed yesterday, what are you saying to me about you or about me in this? Because friends, whether we're struggling with rejoicing with those who rejoice or mourning with those who mourn, the truth is the only way forward and the only way for true transformation is for Jesus to shine his light in our hearts and to speak to us. We can try to be kind. We can try to be patient. We can try to not envy. But envy is one of those things that rises up. And what do we do with those things? Uh, Judgment, envy, criticism, cynicism, those things that we recognize in ourselves and they, we don't like how they feel. And we're like, I don't like what I think right now. I don't like how I feel right now. But we can't just tell ourselves, stop feeling that way. Stop thinking that. We, we try. We try to just say, I don't think that, but that's not truth, and we're shoving it down, and then it pops up somewhere else because we didn't actually deal with it. So what happens if when those negative things rise, we can lift our head to Jesus and say, Jesus, how would you walk me through this? Jesus, what is the blind spot of where, the root, where this is coming from that you would want to show me about this? Uh, or simply, Jesus, I feel envy right now. I am green with envy. My heart is broken for me, and here's one more person who just got engaged, and I would love to be married, who just got a job, and I've been looking for a job for two years, who, who has, who's posting about their besties on Facebook, and do you know how many years that I have wished that I had a group of people to go to the beach with, who, who all these things, Jesus, envy is rising up in me. I don't want to be envious. This is where I am period. We just pray and we tell Jesus, this is where I am. And I'm bringing it to you. And that's truly all I can do right now. I don't have the next step of, okay, forgive me for being envious. Okay, change this or fix this. Sometimes we think our prayer, we have to know the right words to tell God what to do so he can move us past the place that we're in. That's not actually, do any of you feel that? I've got to know to pray the right thing so that God knows what he needs to do to get me past this place that I'm stuck. And the reality is he doesn't ask us to know what the next step is. He asks us to bring it to him. Jesus, I lift my eyes and I admit to you that I am envious right now. I don't want to be envious right now. That's all I know. I invite you into this place. Jesus, I release this to you and I invite you into this place. I cannot will this negative feeling out of me, but it is not how I want to do relationship with the people that I love. So I invite you into this place. And it doesn't matter if you have to pray that prayer once a week, once a day, once an hour. It is still the prayer that he invites us to. Because just as we get to be present with each other, our way through is what Stephanie taught last night. The presence of the living God. So when we love one another and we sacrifice and we, we, we do the hard work of coming into that place of tension and being present with those whose emotions are different than ours and things rise up in us, we don't have to shame ourselves. We don't have to listen to the lie of the enemy of I'm a terrible person because I hate being at baby showers right now or I'm a terrible person because I can't go to bridal showers or I'm a terrible person because I can't rejoice. I'm a ter- no, those are all lies of the enemy. We, we, we go to the hard places, we engage where God calls us, and whatever rises up inside, we invite Jesus into that, and we trust him to be God. See, those of, us, those of you that are like me and feel like you have to fix what rises up inside, the real lie that I know that I live by, that I am asking Jesus to transform, is that I think that I can be like God. 
because I think I can make my heart not have dark and sinful feelings. And that if I just do the right thing, I can just get through that and not think that and not feel that. And the reality is I am not God and you are not God. And even though we know cynicism or resentment or a critical spirit is not where we want to live, beating ourselves up, shaming ourselves, listening to the lies of you should do better is not going to be the thing that transforms or changes or moves us past that point. It's only by the power of the living God and surrender to his spirit and an invitation, come and change me, come and open my eyes, come and soften my heart, come and meet me here because I am falling apart and I don't want these women that I'm in this room with to know what's going on in the blackness of my heart. Jesus, I invite you into this. This is how we do this together with presence. We also do this together with listening. Uh, there's uh, Kenneth Blue said, intense listening is indistinguishable from love and love heals. Intense listening is indistinguishable from love, and love heals. When we show up and we listen, it does more than you can ever imagine. Ever imagine. Last time, because I know some of you were writing and there was a really long word in there. Intense listening is indistinguishable from love, and love heals. As a pastor, I get the privilege and the joy of meeting with people in my office. And um, I will confess that um, every now and then, um, I'll get a couple in my office and I'll go, dear Jesus, I don't see a way through for them. <laughs> but what I do is, is, is I listen, I ask questions, and I listen some more. And before they leave my office, I say a prayer for them. And I can't tell you how many times I have run into them in the lobby or a follow-up conversation or somewhere else, and God is actually transforming them. <laughs> like they're moving forward beyond what I would have hoped for them. They're moving forward beyond what I could have seen transforming in their life. And I realize intense listening is indistinguishable from love, and love heals. That when we listen, when we just take what we've heard and say, dear Jesus, please help them, do you know what he does? He helps them. <laughs> When we can't see way through, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to fix it, when we don't know the prayer to pray, when we don't know what to tell God so that he can fix their problem, <laughs> and all we say is, Jesus, please help, he comes and he moves and he answers. This is how we're together in this. We are present and we listen. And then the third one is uh, we serve one another. Serving. So when we show up, uh, I'm going to say this, but I need you to know I don't do this. Uh, when we bring a meal, okay, I don't bring meals. I don't provide meals for my own family very well, so it's one of the things that I don't do. But I do care in other ways, okay? Some of you are meal givers. Some of you are mercy. Some of you have the gift of mercy and caring, and you actually see what other people need, and you move into action to do it. That is love. Some of you are... you you. You're, you love, you're generous, you have a spirit of generosity, and you are quietly giving money and paying for camp fees and giving air miles and loving people that way in the midst of their challenges. Time is something that we can give to serve each other. Play dates, taking each other's kids for a while. If somebody is moving, showing up and serving on moving day matters. Here's something that I've learned in a key relationship in my life. Um, there are five love languages, right? Again, I'm not teaching on those. Sorry to even bring them up. Um, but there's acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation. 
giving gifts, and quality time. Kind of a range of things that this is the way people receive love. Uh, one of my love languages is physical touch. Kara Brown, I don't know if you've ever had a real Kara Brown hug, but she like just wraps around you and sometimes it's a little awkward. Um, <laughs> But it's why we're friends, because that's my love language, okay? Um, so there's a particular relationship in my life that hit some rocky time, and there were a lot of emotional difficulties there, and I had a, a need to, to have some boundaries there, and the boundaries that I placed because of the emotional difficulties were very difficult in that relationship because it felt like I wasn't loving, and what I discovered, though, was one of this person's love languages is acts of service, and if I just show up and help with the projects that this person is in the middle of, the cleanup or the moving or the this or the that, I'm able to love in a way that doesn't break my emotional boundaries, right, and speaks that I care. And so when we're doing life together and we're finding that someone else is at a different emotional place than we are and there's a difficulty inner battle going on with how do I have conversation, how do, I, how do we walk through this, sometimes one of the open doors in is this acts of service, this ability to show up and do something that physically demonstrates love even in the midst of the layers and the messiness of being women with our own emotions and our own hearts we can serve one another. And that's part of what Romans 12 was talking about. Okay. So I'm going to invite the team up. Let's uh, chat about this. Okay. Um, I'm going to do what everybody loves. I'm going to ask you a question that um, isn't very specific. What are you thinking right now? <laughs> okay. Don't answer that question. Stop. Stop. Do not answer that question. I feel like that's let me very ask, safe. Let me ask that that's question differently. Let me ask that question differently. We've just been talking. There are things that as you've been sitting, you, something stirred up and you kind of had a thought about it. What's your thought about what we've been talking about? <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate you clarifying that. <laughs> oh. Maybe. Uh, maybe Somebody. hand her. You got this, Jay. Let's give Jay a round of applause. That's right. This weekend would have been very unfortunate without our friend Jay. Yeah. So also, true. Melissa Garner in the back. We wouldn't have been able to sing without you. Oh, I think I just got it. We so appreciate you and all your hard work. Did you press the button on the bottom? No, I don't press buttons. They get mad at me. <laughs> okay, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah Jay, yeah, round of applause. Uh, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking, Jen, was that I. One way that we can we can allow people to celebrate and to mourn with us is is by doing that is by is by allowing them into it, and that's something that uh, I have. I'm not natural at like I I if I have something that I'm struggling with it's not um, my natural tendency to go tell somebody that and in order to in order to have this kind of community in order to to walk in what God tells us to do to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice we have to let people do that and so 
Um, just even the other night, I was struggling and I was feeling anxious. I was having pain in my body. And my natural tendency is to not tell anybody and just worry about it and uh, be afraid that something's going wrong with my baby. And um, But I really felt like as our t we were in a room all together, we were planning for this weekend, and I really felt led to ask the team to pray for me. And in that moment, I was able to experience their community and to have them pray over me and rejoice with me in what God was doing and also just enter into the pain that I was feeling. And so um, allowing people into those spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as we prayed for you, the, the scripture that kept coming to mind was perfect love casts out fear, which I've always been intrigued by. Okay, I think I believe that, but what does that look like? And um, as we're circled around you and our hands are on you, I was just struck by how loved you are and how fear was being cast out because we were with you and loving you. And so it was like an embodiment of the word of God in that moment. So thanks for letting us be a part of that. I feel like you don't know what you don't know. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Carry on. Okay. So <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. There you go. You're so welcome. keep talking. <laughs> we don't know what you're About. thinking. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> we can't know what we don't know, so we can't be responsible for that. So if I don't know that my best lady is struggling, then I can't show up for her. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? So that, that shame game and the comparison games and all those other things, um, we can't know what we don't know. So if, if we choose isolation, then it's going to be a lot harder to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn because you don't know. And I think that when we choose to let people in and then community happens, then that's when we get to live in those tensions. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a choice. We get, we get to choose it. We get to choose who we let in. And we get to choose if we let people in. Like, really, it, you can't hold people accountable and responsible for not showing up when you need that if they don't know that there's a need to be met. Mm -hmm. And social media is not, I mean, good Lord. That just makes everything so complicated. And yet sometimes can be awesome too, right? Like you can get like a prayer chain going like that and you can get meals here because you know someone's down for the count and we're going to show up and we're going to do this. Or social media can be like, Yay, they're doing so great, and they have joy all the time, and uh, my life doesn't. And it's like, that's just this tiny little slice and window. Like, we don't really know, unless we're in community and intimate relationship with people. You don't really know what their joys are and what their sorrows are. And so I think we get to choose that. We get, we get to choose. So yeah. I don't know if that's helpful or not. But. With you saying that about social media, the other thing that I'm aware of is you can put out a, I just really need prayer right now. And if you don't get any likes or comments or anything, you can feel like, 
it, it reinforces the I'm all alone in the world. And I would just say that's not a realistic picture of what life is. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe that should have been on my outline. How do we do this together? Don't do it on social media. <laughs> do it in person. And like you said, there can be some value yeah. there. there yeah. But there can be a lot of misunderstanding there. Totally. I'm not bashing social media. I'm actually a fan. I'm I on am. Facebook. I'm bashing I'm on, it. See, and I'm on Instagram. <laughs> but here's the other thing. Lolo's not. Like, but she's one of my people. So she knows what's going on. And not because of social media, but because she shows up. Like, Jennifer has had a, a journey with social media, sometimes in, sometimes out, whatever. It's true. But what she knows is because of relationship, not because of, like, social media. Like, I don't know about Stephanie's baby because of social media. I know because her and I had a private conversation, and she sacredly let me hold that. And that is what it looks like to hold all these things in tension. That's what it looks like to hold grief and to hold joy and to hold hope and to step in the gap for people is when we gently hand it to someone else mm -hmm. or when we gently hold it and let them look at it. Yeah. And I feel like that's when we really get to live in that, the tension of all of those things. Yeah. Laura, did you have a thought stirring? Yeah. Um, this whole morning, I've just been reminded of a personal challenge in my life. Of um, I'm going to read Colossians 3, 13 and 14. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And for me, a personal challenge has been, <clears throat> yeah, I, I can memorize scriptures. I can teach them. But how am I living this out day to day. And that's hard work <laughs> to bear with each other and forgive the grievances. And But it is what sets us apart from any other community on the planet if we actually do that's this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the challenge for me has been twofold. One, um, inviting spirit to come on me anytime I do something that is not nice and to convict me and then to show me the way forward. And so it's meant I've had to go to people and say, man, those words that just came out of my mouth, those were wrong, and I, I apologize. I'm trying to live in that. And then secondly, um, being a person who um, doesn't take offense easily, and um, I'm pretty sensitive. And so that's a challenge as well, thinking the best about some, what somebody might have um, their motives towards me rather than thinking the worst. And then if I have a question about it, going to them and having the honest conversation like, hey, here's, here's what happened. I don't quite understand that, you know, what was said between us um, and, and actually talking it out rather than just having the conversation in my head. So uh, th this has been hard work for me. It will continue to be hard work for me. But I just want us to be the bride of Christ that's beautiful and clean and spotless because we forgive each other over and over again. Because we're going to hurt each other over and over again because we're just humans doing life together. So that's on my heart. Mm -hmm. It's for myself and for us as the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Kara or Stephanie, anything else about this doing this together that's just on your mind? And I don't know the exact right question to ask. So just anything else on this that you're thinking? I have a question for you guys that's mm -hmm. been kind of stirring in my mind. I love it. 
question with a question. I yeah. call that pulling a Jesus. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. They're like, tell us about eternal life. And he's like, well, you tell me, me about. You. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good um, job. So I think there are a lot of women in this room who are grieving. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who are mourning, we talk about how do, how do we mourn with those who mourn? And my question is, how, how do we rejoice with those who are rejoicing when we are mourning and, and still be true to what we are feeling and not push it aside and not say, and not fake it, but still be able to enter into the joy that somebody else is feeling? I hope if you've learned anything over the course of the weekend, just because we're up here having a conversation does not mean that we have all the answers or that we have it all figured out. So please, I caution you with everything in me. Like, we're in this together. There's not, like, a hierarchy system here. So the silence is okay. And and that's why I asked the question, yeah. because I don't feel like I have a great answer for that. And I would love to hear what you guys think. I don't know that I have a great answer either, and it's one to hold tenderly because when we are mourning, it can feel so um, harsh to say, you know, get over yourself, (laughs) and that's not what I'm saying, but this idea of lifting your head from where you are, and, and I think a piece of that is Can I entrust my heart and everything that I'm feeling to Jesus? Can he hold that? Is he trustworthy to hold the pain that I have in my heart while I rejoice with someone who rejoices? Because then I'm not invalidating my pain. I'm not saying, oh, I'm fine. I'm saying, I hold this deeply, and in order for me to rejoice with you, I am going to have to entrust my heart to Jesus and and trust that he sees my pain, he comforts my pain, he validates my pain, he's with me in pain, and he's not asking me to um, ignore it or deny it or numb it. I get to lift my head to what and to see others out of my pain. And the only way I can safely not be the one to caretake my own pain, see, the only way I can lift my eyes is if I don't have to be the caretaker of my pain, And the only way I can do that is if I can entrust that to Jesus. Can he hold my heart while I lift my eyes and look around and say, okay, where where is someone else? Can I truly enter into their rejoicing and allow my heart to feel that, trusting that I'm not actually betraying my pain in this, that I'm not denying my pain by rejoicing with them? The other thing I'm thinking about is that because we're not always good at this, that the practice of reflecting back on conversations that we have. So um, being with a friend where you're trying to be with them, but then you, then you look back and you go, man, I kind of made that all about myself. Being reflective so that we can grow, not so that we can shame ourselves or judge ourselves. Um, and embracing the growth journey in this. 
So I feel like that's something I'm learning to do as well, kind of at the end of the day, reflect on the day um, so that I can grow. And I just want to keep growing in this. Yeah. Any thoughts, Kara, on that one? You don't have to. No. I. My hesitation is because I don't want to communicate that I have it, like, because I don't have it figured out. But um, this season of life in the last year has brought me to a place where my best lady lives across the street from me. So... Our friendship, our kids, our husbands, and we're in, like, close living proximity with each other. Um, it allows a depth of community and intimacy that I have not experienced before. And so when things are going well, when they're experiencing that family, when they're experiencing joy or they're experiencing sorrow or vice versa, because we do life together, it's, it happens. Um, and my, my fear and hesitation in sharing that is because I know that there are people here who are lonely and don't have that. And so I don't, um, I just wanna acknowledge your pain and share my joy in this. Does that make sense? Like I feel like the act of sharing this is actually doing what we're talking about. So that's why I'm like processing on how to do it in a way that doesn't hurt or, oh, well, she, well, she has a best friend that lives across the street, so whatever. But also, did that make sense? Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna move on. So when my dad died, When we got the call that he had like 24 to 48 hours, my sister and I had just kind of switched. So I was up there with my mom and we were figuring some things out. My mom left me there, she came home and then my sister and I switched so that I could come home with my family and kind of take care of them for a little while because he was on hospice at his house and we got the call. And it, like that kind of a thing is so surreal and you don't know like what to do with it and you don't know like up, some down. And seeing is hard and like Luke and Jocelyn were, were there at my table and like, okay, um, we'll take the girls, we'll have them for the weekend, like you just go. And then like our neighbors next door who are dear friends took our son and then our other friends who, like it just, it was a crazy psycho whirlwind, and I felt like I was just standing there looking around, but they were able to just show up in that. Does that make sense? And, and because of that intimate relationship, the presence there allowed for the tension of it. Like, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And again, that, that hesitation of like, I'm kind of afraid to share this because I don't want it to sound like, but, but that's part of that tension of being like, I do have this, and I'm grateful for this, and I don't want to boast in it and be like, yeah, whatever, everybody else. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say, and that is how I'm experiencing it. Like, that is how it's happening. So, like, when things are awesome and a promotion happens, then we can walk across the street and toast and whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think that part of it is, opening yourself up to that level mm -hmm. of intimacy, which is scary. Because hope is scary. Hope is risking. Hope is hurt 
can hurt. It hurts sometimes to do it, right? And then when you're in that situation where you have the people that you get to do it with. So because I'm such a people person, that I think is how it looks for me. Like, yeah. I don't know. So as you're talking, I'm, I'm stepping it back a little bit yeah. to the reality of those of us who don't have that type of community just yeah. built in right where we're at. And it's, it's going to look different for everybody. It's not always going to be a neighbor across the street. Yeah. Um, but how, what do we do to put ourselves in position to build community? Because you and I both know, because we have all been through junior high, that just the fact that you want friends or people in your life doesn't mean that those people are coming or that they will be in your life. Our yeah. desire to have people with us doesn't change our reality of where we are. But our mindset, our attitude towards makes a big difference in how we do community. So I'm going to give you another um, Hopeism, another one that was from my mom. And this was when I was a sophomore in college. It was not easy. I didn't want to hear it. I'm guessing some of you won't like it, but my mom said it, not me. So we're going to go with that, okay? And you can't actually get mad at her uh, because she's with Jesus. Um, you can't get mad at me if you need to, though. But uh, my sophomore year in college, I was feeling very lonely and very alone. My freshman year, I had lived on campus. I'd been involved in Campus Crusade. I was all over campus with people. I was very involved. My sophomore year, I lived at home. I tried to go to Campus Crusade, but it was kind of like staying late instead of driving home, and what do you do for the four hours in between? And then when I got there, they weren't really people I knew because I wasn't on campus anymore, and I found that nobody was really talking to me. And so I'm trying to fit in, and then in an ironic twist, my parents went to Hawaii for an anniversary, and my mom got sick while they were there, and so instead of being gone like 10 days, they were gone for three weeks, and I was living at home alone, so I was alone at home, I felt alone at school, I felt alone in the ministry area where I had been a part of things before, and even though I knew people, like I wasn't on the leadership team, and so I didn't feel like the leaders were reaching out to me and talking to me, and the people who I wanted to notice me weren't noticing me, and so so I was kind of spiraling into this pretty bad place of just feeling very alone and lonely and not sure what to do and how to get out of that. And so when my parents got home from Hawaii, as moms do, she noticed what was going on. And so within a couple of days, we ended up on my bed having a conversation at one point. And I'm pouring out my heart to her about how I feel so left out and alone. And she said, Jennifer, I bet there are other people there who feel like you. What if instead of looking for the leadership team or the popular people to notice you, what if you began to reach out and notice others who are alone? <laughs> How's that for sympathy? She said it so lovingly and gently, and I hope that's how you hear it today. But there are times when we need to lift our heads and say, what do I have to offer this community rather than what can this community give to me? Rather than walking in the door and saying, who will notice me today? Can we walk in the door and say, who will I notice today? Who will I talk to? Who will I reach out to? Who will I make an intentional connection with because I see that they feel alone too? And you guys, when I felt really alone, that was hugely risky. That's a risk of rejection. But if we can wrap our brain around a truth that somebody shared here years ago, which was, everybody has a story. Underneath our exterior, see, we're all comparing each other. We're comparing our insides to other people's outsides. 
I see what your life looks like, and it all makes sense to me, and I compare what I know about the inside of me to the outside of you, and I think that person doesn't want me to say hi to them. That person doesn't need me in their life. But the reality is all of us have insides. <laughs> all of us have a story. All of us are grieving something. All of us have challenges. And, and when we spend time together, we know that. And so can we approach community from a humble place of, I have something to offer by loving people rather than, are people going to reach out to me and will I feel rejected again today?